One of the goals was to bring people into this beautiful space and let them experience it, let them fall in love with it, and then connect with what's happening. For Old Sana'a City, I cannot imagine it any other way but in 360. This technique has been used in also other countries, uh, not just Yemen. I believe in the power of stories and storytelling. Mm. And then the tool comes to aid the story, not the other way around. So right. for this kind of story, if you want to put someone in the shoes of someone in Yemen, for example, um, then I think 360 is the best way to go. But it needs to be connected through emotions and through a story. It needs to have a narrative and arc. Welcome to the Digital Doha podcast, our brand new series focused on bringing listeners topical segments and informative conversations with local experts, exploring the cutting edge of emerging media happening in the dynamic international capital that is Doha, as well as the greater Middle East. I'm your co-host, Spencer Stryker, digital media professor at Northwestern University in Qatar. And I'm joined by my co-host, Natasha Das, media information and technology student at NUQ. Maryam Aldopani is an award-winning journalist, filmmaker, and curator. Her work as a filmmaker highlights human stories from Yemen, utilizing VR, presenting those stories in a totally original and immersive way. She first began her work during the 2011 Arab Uprisings. And since then, Aldobani's films have screened globally in festivals such as Carthage, Interfilm, and Oaxaca. In our conversation, we examine her work and how VR has allowed her to present Yemen's issues in an unprecedentedly powerful and moving way. How do you think VR adds more to your work when highlighting the stories from Yemen? As I, I briefly mentioned, like for Old Sana'a City, I cannot imagine it any other way but in 360 because the situation of the city changed a lot um, after the recent changes in Yemen. There is lots of negligence to the historical buildings, to the walls, just because people now, um, unfortunately, are all scared and driven into survival which is extremely um, understandable but there are these groups that keep spreading green paint of their slogans all over the city that is not okay and there isn't enough awareness to stop this no one can stop this these are armed groups you can't really tell them don't paint your slogan here um, don't you know stick this poster here this is not okay you're ruining our city you're ruining our heritage so the only way that I can do it with with the tools that I have is just to document it as is and then tell human stories from within so it was the story of Am Ali and Saddam these two um, Yemeni artisans in the raftsmen from Samsarat al-Nuhas and just a little space for them to have their voices out it's very short to tell anything more with 360 the maximum is 10 minutes. Other than that, the audience get tired. Um, you get feel dizzy. It's, it's still a new field. Like you can't really push too much. And at the same time, you don't want it to be too uncomfortable so people don't want to watch your experience. At the end of the day, one of the goals was to bring people into this beautiful space and let them experience it, let them fall in love with it, and then connect with what's happening. 
um, rather than the typical stereotypical way of how Yemen is portrayed in news. It's constantly death. It's constantly bombing. Um, little kids are dying. And then you immediately shut off because these stereotypes blocks empathy. And once that empathy is blocked, you cannot connect. And then it becomes another war in the Middle East. Then it becomes something distance that you don't want to be associated with, or you feel so guilty that you just want to push $10 or 10 euros to the nearest charity and then call it a day. Yeah, that's a fascinating answer. So just to kind of follow up on a couple of things. So first of all, so you're saying the AR VR allows you to, to really situate the viewer in the midst of this experience so that they can uh, experience it in a sensual way, for lack of a better word, you know, all of their senses are engaged. Yeah. This other piece that you're talking about, I've never heard anyone say it quite like that that you want you want them to be aesthetically appreciating Yemen right for its physical beauty its geography for its culture its people before you introduce the aspect of the war the tragedy that's going on and that's very smart um like you say for the reasons you point out that uh you don't you want it to be distinct from what they're used to seeing in sensationalized news on cnn and this the latest negative event to catch your attention right so can you speak more to that i mean i know you just talked about it, but maybe developing that more like for for people who are interested in getting into ar and vr how do you achieve that aesthetic appreciation in your 360 AR VR filmmaking um, tool set. So the beautiful thing that I don't need to create anything that doesn't exist. Um, mm. Yemen is full of these beautiful places, not just old Sanaa city. I'm working on another piece actually now remotely and you're, you're saying teaching from a distance online is challenging and I agree with you. How about directing from afar? No, right. I can't the location. My videographers has been through so much and I can't be there to help them. And the work is taking forever, which is understandable. Beyond the distance, beyond being confined in different countries, that is an active war zone. Um, things are unstable. And um, documented is things shift all the time. So we're adapting. I'm rewriting the script actually in the coming two days because things shifted. And in this, in this one, it's actually for, I can't really like disclose, but it's for very important um, decision makers in, in the UN and in the US. Mm. Um, to see and experience this in order to next time when they are given a paper to decide what's happening in this remote place with 30 million people, they know more than just what they have seen in the news. They felt more than what just blocked their empathy again. And they could remember at least one image that took their breath away and one act that a person did from that film that kind of made their heart beat a little bit faster mm. um, more than being shut down and just being bombarded with another decision for a far far place that they think that would they will never affect them so i'm approaching this through um bees <laughs> because yemeni honey is the most famous honey in the world yeah. uh, so it's through beekeepers and uh, honey business and through that then we're trying to get into people's hearts, hopefully. I've never heard anyone say that either, that you that you can see this uh, 360 immersive video as a way to connect with policymakers, lawmakers. So that's even one step in a way more intense, you might say, than 
uh, you're basically trying to affect change by using the affordances of 360 video. Can you speak more to that? Has that have you have you been able to get through to lawmakers, policymakers? Have you heard some reactions from them? Do you think that it's been persuasive? Has it worked? Yes, because this technique has been used in also other countries, uh, not just Yemen. Um, I happen to be uh, fortunate enough to work on the project from Yemen. So it's similarly in Sudan and, and Colombia and other countries. Mm. Um, there was one about Iraq, uh, Mosul and what's happening there. Um, but it's quite a briefing more than a story driven narrative. Um, but I work more on not vlogging in 360 or just briefing in 360. I believe in the power of stories and storytelling. Mm. And then the tool comes to aid the story, not the other way around. So right. for this kind of story, if you want to put someone in the shoes of someone in Yemen, for example, um, then I think 360 is the best way to go. But it needs to be connected through emotions and through story. It needs to have a narrative and arc. So out of all the tools that you have available to you as a filmmaker, do you prefer using VR? Well, as I said, VR is one of the tools. So it depends on what I'm doing. For example, the first uh, short film I directed remotely was at the heart of COVID. Um, and it's a poem film. It was commissioned uh, for Liverpool um, Arab Film Festival in collaboration with the university and other places um, in the UK. And it was dedicated to Yemeni poem, four Yemeni poems by Yemeni poets and uh, commissioned by four female um, artists. I was the only uh, Yemeni one. And um, I, I used 360, but it's not to be displayed as 360. So it's displayed regularly. Um, I just manipulated the images like with the sphere view um, to speak for the poet's words to the poem itself. So I did my best to make the film represent how he felt and uh, also represent the words themselves and the distortion that 360 allows to do with the images it, it, it fits beautifully I don't mind sharing that one as well so can you take a regular film and then make it a VR or take a VR film and make it regular so the idea was the camera here plays as a CCTV and the poet himself, he's been in, in exile uh, far away from home. And this is his beloved city, Taz, which is also my city, my home city. And the idea was see how you use the movement. You don't need the goggles to view this film. This is regular viewing, but it's shot in 360. And um, the movement of the editing, because the camera is static, so the movement is created by editing. And through mm -hmm. editing, you follow what's happening in the streets. Oh, can I can I follow up with that? So just right there, that movement was created by editing. Yes, all of the movements are created. Oh, that's by really editing. cool. Okay, now I, I get it better. So basically, you get it. You get it, Natasha. Like she filmed this thing, but then in editing, she can rotate the camera around. So mm -hmm. I control the view yeah. how I want it to go, um, instead of putting it experiences. So these images can't be created with a regular camera. These this view, this castle. That's, looks like a castle. This is created by filming in 360, but in editing, you manipulate the image as you want it to be. Ooh, okay. Okay, this is far out. Um, so, I mean, you don't see this that much. So maybe you can speak to uh, where you see this technology going. I mean, how far away is this from being more mainstream? You know, because this is some powerful stuff. I think it's already going mainstream. Like there is a whole video clip that used this technique. Um, mm -hmm. There are art installations that use this technique. Mm. Um, 
there's so many ways to to uh, use this technology, um, play with it, play around it. And the best thing, because it's new, there is no authority that comes and tell you, okay, you have to do it this way to be professional or you're out. Like, for, let's say cinema, for example. It's so hard to come in with a new uh, way of doing things. But in 360, what I love, it's a field of experimentation. So I just go crazy <laughs> and I love it. Um, I love the freedom to create. Well, that is fascinating because uh, it makes me think of the very beginning of film itself, right? If you think about Sergei Eisenstein is often brought up as the inventor of montage theory. He was a Russian film editor, very beginning of the 20th century. And uh, he was just trying to see what worked and didn't work and would splice different images together. He was a mad scientist of editing. And at that time, of course, it was completely new technology. So in a way, this is like a similar moment with a new medium, as you say, and you're making it up as you go. And that's incredibly exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. So what are some more techniques that you see potential for? Uh, you mentioned, uh, well, already, I really, I really like this idea of editing and uh, basically moving the camera in post-production as if you're manipulating a 3D scene in a game and basically telling a story that way, that is really interesting. What are some other tools and techniques you're toying around with? Um, I, I would also like to share the, um, the 360 animation installation I created. Um, yeah. It's unfortunately not available as part of the exhibition. Um, I think once we graduated, uh, they just kept it for a while and now it's not functioning anymore. It was um, an exhibition about motherhood in collaboration with Sidra Hospital and um, with Well Cornell for UCL, this was like our, the final um, exhibition for museum and gallery practice students. And um, what I did is I used this technology because it's about pregnancy. This one is, I recommend, please try to watch it again with the goggles, but you can scroll around. Um, you can also change the view, I believe. So this started from actual cardboard cuttings, physical cardboard cuttings, and then digitizing that and animating them. So these are all cut by hand, all the images cut by hand mm. um, and then digitized. And then these are kind of split of two worlds. This is kind of an extension of one of the films I worked on, Just Another Memory, which was a personal experience, personal healing process, let's say. And um, within the film, I discuss um, the loss of a child once I moved here. So within the maternity theme of the exhibition, we decided to touch upon life and loss. So pregnancy usually have two ends. Um, one ends with a child and one ends with a loss, which is mm -hmm. part of life. So how to delicately produce a piece that speaks to that, but it's gentle, it's not traumatizing. And here it, you should do it with sound because sound does half of the work. When you watch it with the goggles, you're actually in the middle and you're feeling the two 
um, the two sides um, with the sound. It's super time. impressive. It's so uh, it's so unique. So you hear out the audio has a 360 quality. <clears throat> I think you're like panning it around between the speakers. It's amazing. So we have so much going on. One is you have the ability to control the camera. At the same time, you have this kind of animation, this 2D animation, then you have the sound going on, the story. It's very, very original. It's very mm -hmm. impressive. It was part of an so it's accompanied by a poem and a poem is available to read in both languages and audio and uh, it was part of many installations so this was like a whole section for dedicated for life and loss and i like i like this kind of z index this idea of like layers of things in the foreground midground just tremendous potential here for storytelling, yes, also for other things too. I mean, education, you've already mentioned journalism. And who did you work with to do the art on this? Um, the artist who made the images and cut them with me was uh, my colleague, um, Charlene Kassadroff. I can link you to her, she's incredible. And the person who created, built the world and edited was Hadir. I think you should definitely interview Hadir. Um, if she's not on your list, which I'm sure she is. She uh, graduated from BCU and she teaches now there. And mm -hmm. she is the ultimate um, experimental in, in 360. How long did it take to create this piece? The idea process took longer than the actualizing process, if that makes sense. Because in, in any creative work, to have an original idea and then to find ways to create it, that takes more than 50%. That takes a lot. And then creating it, we actually went through phases. So the first phase, it was supposed to be two physical statues and then projector on them. And the projector uh, would create this 360 field. So there were supposed to be two projectors, like two halves, like the camera itself and then playing with life projectory in 360. So it's like a cylinder, um, but that didn't happen. So then we moved immediately into building this world uh, within 360. And what took the most was drawing and creating the loop, even though they, they seem uh, quite basic and simple, but that takes a lot of work. But building and, and editing wasn't that, it was quite fast. It's just the whole process leading up to it was a lot. Yeah, I imagine because, like you said before, you are pioneering this uh, this this tech and these creative techniques, and when you're trying to push it like that, uh, there's a lot of going to be a lot of R and D and experimentation because you really don't know what it's. You, there's not there's no blueprint to follow, right? Yeah, you're inventing the the design techniques as you go. What's your process like, and how difficult is it to come up with these new techniques? Uh, that's such a difficult question because um, each person have a different way of coming up with things, right? It's just as everything else in life, the way we think is different and the way we kind of perceive the world is different. The way how we perceive storytelling is different. How we utilize it is different. For me, it's always to serve the purpose. So if the purpose is to tell 
X story, then what is gonna suit that X story? What technique, what tools, what methods um, that will serve the best to that story? And usually these stories are connected to people. So then if it's a character driven, so what is the best that will give justice to this character's story or this person's story? Um, and for example, the animation, I felt I was the center of it because I experienced um, loss, but also the people who helped me, they experienced both or one. Um, I didn't mention the audio person, she's incredible and she experienced both loss and life. And it's basically a collaboration. I, I cannot come up with all of this by myself. It's always a conversation and a collaboration and getting advice and ideas and having people on board who are passionate about the idea, because <laughs> that's important. If people are passionate, they invest and they, if they invest, then that shows the end result. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's a terrific point that you make about collaborators, finding people who care as much as you or who are as innovative and creative and passionate about the material. So important because creative work can be full of emotional highs and lows and you're, you're, you have to in some ways run off of enthusiasm. And, you, <laughs> and so it really helps if you have people that uh, care as well, who are also very creatively competent that, you know, basically you enjoy working with that really helps. And I mean, it, you can't understate how much that helps take the work up another level, as you say, because all of this type of work is collaborative. You can't do advanced multimedia projects without a team, right? Absolutely. Um, I always refer to it as a tribe. You always need a tribe to help you come up with a film or a piece of art. So always surround yourself with that tribe that keeps you going. Right, exactly. Well said, your tribe, you build your tribe. And my, my own work, like once you find the people that you work well with, that you know that they care as much as you and you've had, you've gone through these creative journeys together, then you want to keep working with them, right? Basically over time, you're assembling that team. How much of this material, how much of this um, ability to work, to do innovative work in 360 immersive video did you learn at Northwestern Qatar? It was kind of the opening the door. So it's just getting my my first foot in, um, getting to know the technology, what, what it is, and um, being introduced to it. Uh, that definitely was through Northwestern, was through the Med Lab. And then you learn as you do, because each project is different and each project requires uh, researching it requires learning something new if it doesn't then it's not challenging then it's not interesting at least for me so far i didn't do anything that's duplicated because i lose interest so fast so i try my best to have things that are different so i don't know so i learn because this is how i learn this is how i've been learning since forever because i didn't get access to it from before so uh, northwestern opened doors and then i access them and go straight forward, trying to gain more as much as I can. Um, it could get overwhelming sometimes, uh, but I love it. It's, it fuels me. It's, it gives me like this, um, I don't know, rush. I love, I love going forward and taking kind of the basics, the steps. I take them with me and then let's try this. Let's see if it works. Just to switch gears a little bit, I was really interested in your multicultural background, like your Russian and Yemeni. 
And I was wondering, how does your multicultural background influence your work? Oh, um, I love this question, actually. Many people don't know I've never been to Russia. Like, I've been when I was 10 months old, uh, spent two months, so you could imagine I remember everything. <laughs> but yeah, so I grew up in Yemen. All I know is Yemen. The longest I've been away is in Doha since 2015. So Doha somehow became my second home. Growing up with, with a family that is mixed. So at home, we only watched Russian TV. We only spoke Russian. We only ate Russian food. So my Russia was basically my mom and our home. Mm. Uh, and then Yemen was everything else. And um, I believe... Love being mixed. I believe it it makes you more open to the world in so many ways. Like even our household, my mom's Christian, my dad is Muslim. So we have always been open to everything. If we it's something I'm so grateful for. Um I, I love the mixes. I feel like mixes blend the borders. And um I hope that I'm doing that in my work. Mm -hmm.